What's up, everybody, and welcome back to After Dragons. This is episode 10 of our creator series. We have moved into the double digits, and to celebrate that feat today, we're joined by Andrew Clemson, the creator and writer of Space Bastard, um, as well as, uh, I'm sorry, Star Bastard. Andrew, I'm just going to start that again. One second. (laughs) I I can't believe I just did it again, and I'm looking at the script. Uh, One second. (laughs) What's up, everybody, and welcome back to After Dragons. This is episode 10 of our creator interview series, and we've reached the double digits. To help us celebrate today, we're joined by Andrew Clemson, the writer and creator of Star Bastard, uh, recently published through Scout Comics, but previously kickstarted. Uh, he's also the creator of two other uh, titles that we'll discuss today, Bet Noir and Damsel from Distress. Andrew, welcome to the show, man. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Great, great. I'm glad that you could join us here today from uh, the other side of the world. Yeah, it's, it's always fun organizing these things. You know, I'm, I'm in one time zone, everyone else is in another one, but definitely yeah, yeah, speaking comics. to you from the future. <laughs> yeah, you're, you can let me know just how, how things are t- just tomorrow morning. Still terrible. <laughs> same old same old it's yeah. good to, it's good to see how comics can uh, unite some things like that and how it can uh, kind of find this conversation or find a similar vibe here from countries away through mm-hmm. uh, such a uh, a wild title that you've you've created here with star bastard um <laughs> man i was just exploring some of the scout comics titles when i stumbled on this and um there is a band in the States called Starfucker, whom I had just noticed like a few years back and just, you know, I was like, man, that'd be a great title for a, a story or something. That's some, even better. <laughs> I wish I'd got that instead. <laughs> and you've, you've basically, you basically hit it on the head, I think, with what uh, the idea I had in mind with that story. It's <laughs> awesome to see as he's just kind of this, uh, you know, he doesn't, doesn't really care about anything. He's, he's invulnerable as far as he's concerned and uh, he's going to take whatever he wants, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, that, that book, it's kind of, uh, I mean, you can't misinterpret it really. It's just a bit of a laugh. It's uh, it's kind of a throwback to all those, you know, like Lobos and, and Star Jammers and things like that, which are my favorite, you know, space pirate books were my favorite growing up. So it's um yeah it does what it says on the tin he's just a horrible horrible asshole that flies around the galaxy uh getting into trouble and other people have got to sort it out for him other people cleaning up his his mess yeah, huh? <laughs> exactly yeah so um uh before star bastard you mentioned that you you grew up reading a lot of comics is that how you kind of got involved in the um in the creative space here yeah i mean i uh I think I think like most people, I sort of um, you know I was I was a teenager in the '90s, so I fell into that whole uh, X Men relaunch um, type era, and just just within no time, I had this huge pull list. You know, I was getting a subscription from different family members to different titles, you know, for Christmas things like that, and um, yeah, just just was was uh, just consuming all of these these comic books uh that's awesome man so you got some of that prime those prime stories there in the early 90s yeah some of them were good some of them were uh, 
not so great but um yeah that that whole thing um you know it sort of everything fell into age of apocalypse and and uh you know all that kind of stuff it was a, it was a great time for sort of superhero books i really enjoyed it right right so you built up built yourself quite a collection from that uh do you still have that collection to this day or did it did it um, go to various yeah, I mean, places along the years no i've managed to keep um you know i dragged long boxes from from my you know from my parents house to university and then <laughs> that's awesome. i've still got a bunch of them now you know um I've, I've trimmed it a bit and uh you know sold things to pay for projects and curate um, the collection right yeah I, i've trimmed it down so i keep things that um i wouldn't i wouldn't say i'm a i'm a, a massive collector anymore um i trimmed it down to things that mean stuff so I, i'm a big slab guy like I, I get a lot of 9.8s and things like that but oh nice um so I kind of seeking out like, the titles or the first appearances or things that you're yeah, after. The characters I liked when I was a kid, so you know everything is sort of Copper Age or earlier. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. I don't tend to buy singles of modern books. I tend to buy the trades of the modern stuff, and then, you know, what I could spend on on ten modern books, I get one slightly better older book. Right, which is well, something fun. a little bit uh, a little bit pristine or something nicer to add to the collection. Yeah, something a bit more fun that I had when I was a kid. I've, I've started exploring slabs a little bit beyond just collecting bagged and board comics. I have a, mm -hmm. a Modoc and Mr. Sinister appearances, just my, some nice. favorite characters from the Marvel universe, but I haven't Those are some good choices, deep. man. Hey, definitely. Like a... Modoc's one of my favorites. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. It's a wild character there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, a lot of the stuff I buy is, is pretty weird, you know, like, um, it's mostly Marvel. I always fell into Marvel more than DC, but I do have like, uh, like the first appearance of Lobo, the Omega Men issue, things like that, and Booster oh, Gold. Oh, you know, Booster I like the obscure Gold. stuff. Yeah, you know, actually, Quasar, Jack of Hearts. You know, all these weird characters. Those are the ones I tend to. Those are some of the good ones, man. the The first appearance of Booster Gold is one that I have that I someday need to send in to get graded and slabbed. I haven't tried that yeah, process yet either. Actually, sending a book I've in. never sent anything in. Um, I always just buy them because I'm so OCD when it comes to it. Um, it's much it more consistent. Back, less. You already know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I'd be heartbroken if it came back like nine point six or nine point four. So All right, here's your slab. Here's your slab yeah. eight. 8.5 never look like, at oh, it man <laughs> yeah and then you've got to buy another one just to read yeah so that's, that's how they get you they yeah they get you there and with and with the covers man and i saw yeah. the scout variants on the covers i love those mm -hmm. action figure covers for star bastard yeah they um they were quite that was like a happy accident really because um they sort of i'd had uh when i was first getting all excited about it because it's the first book i put out i'd sort of reached out to people I know and, and found these these guys that make custom action figures and I thought that'd be cool that'd be a nice little fun thing to put on the kickstarter or you know just share about on social media so I had these this this one action figure uh, lying around and then scout said they needed more covers and mm -hmm. I thought well these would be quite fun so I just took the photos and you know whacked it in photoshop and knocked that um that first uh, uh action figure variant up and it did really well so we ended up doing I think we did four in the end very cool. Um, that was the, and the that, first one was the Max Minetti. Yeah, which is a life-size action figure. That's the cool <laughs> little thing about that one. Um, and then a, the... Uh, and then Molly that? Sims is the second. Yeah, I think we did we did Max, then Molly, then Greaves. And then the, my favorite one is the fourth one, which was the Zax 13 one, which is just a, a 112 scale action cloud. So it's just... <laughs> 
it's just a gas cloud I pulled off Google, but it looks cool. I really like that one. Yeah, it does look great. Yeah, and I like the detail too on the on the packaging with the one twelve scale action cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they did really cool. I'd love to do those for everything, but I mean, we did one for Bet Noir. Um, we didn't put it out as a cover. We did it as a print, but we had the figures made and. So you found a company those. that uh, is, that is making some some custom figures like Super Seven or like a nice no, little slice. It's, it's just a it's a it's a guy um, in Wales in the UK, and oh, he does wow. it as a, as a sort of I guess as a hobby, but he, you know he makes money out of it. But what they are is he pulls he basically kit bashes them like you would do with things. So he finds parts from other stuff, gets oh, it as close cool. as possible, then he whacks Super Sculpey over it and you know, makes it look cool, paints it up, and then you've got a whole new figure. So that's one quite a skill set right there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's probably cheaper than getting the mass produced. But you know, I think it's cool to just have one of each one. And, you know, yeah. Also, oh, do you actually have that griefs with the alternate flipping off hands? Yeah, so I've got them all in my cabinet. <laughs> that's um, perfect. <laughs> yeah, and I've got I, I made uh, quite into one six scale as well. So I, I got a whole one sixth one put together with uh, various parts of Greaves as well. And oh, I've got a, um, nice. the, the ghost huffer, the spaceship. Um, I actually, a friend of mine works in 3D design and he just messaged me one day out of the blue and said, oh man, I got bored and I made the spaceship from your book. So I've got a, a fully 3D rendered uh, model wow. of the ghost huffer, which I gave to a 3D printer. So now I've got a 3D printed uh, model of that. I just got to get painted up and everything, but it's, Dude, it's a money that's pick. awesome you, you just you love these things so you're just like oh, i want to make a, a, toy, of this, little, a toy of this little project right the well the correlation yeah. between comics and toys is too great to ignore and it's pretty cool mm. that you've turned your first project already at least into some toys and with the action figure covers too i think it's a bucket list isn't it everyone that does you know everyone that's into comics at some point has has bought toys whether they you know are still buying them or not and that that's kind of one of the things you want to see it as a film and you want to see it as a toy yeah um, and if someone else isn't going to do it i'm going to do it myself and when is the star bastard film going to grace the uh silver screen i uh i don't know i don't know if if that's something the public would uh <laughs> would buy into maybe but uh oh man we, we i would some... i would love to see the reactionary um res <laughs> response across the board yeah. i think it'd be a i don't know if it's the right time yeah no, we, i think we, give we it a while some... <laughs> we had some interest and stuff but you know it's more, like everything you sort of get some offers and you think oh, i'll wait for a better one and you know it's still mm. you chat to people as it goes on but yeah nothing no uh no adult swim cartoon as of yet oh yeah that that is definitely where i could see it to uh, shining too and that would be the, the dream some kind of stop motion behind it there you can use those custom yeah. figures of yours right <laughs> like a Ro robot robot chicken-esque yeah <laughs> exactly yeah that would be fun <laughs> Nice man. Well, how did how did the the Star Bastard project begin on your side? Um, uh, did you have the idea for the script already, or was it something you were kind of kicking around a while? So um, I, uh, you know, everyone says, "Oh, you know, I love comics. I could get into that as well." And I had a bunch of ideas kicking around, but everything everything I worked on was kind of a bit too grandiose. Uh, you know, you think the first thing you're going to do is going to be Dark Knight Returns or you know Watchmen <laughs> right. or something like that. So I was the, writing these the things. Cinematic masterpiece. Yeah, you think you're going to do a hundred issue, uh, grand, you know, magnum opus as your first job out the out the gate, but um, I I didn't know what I was doing. I was writing these things and uh, you know talking to artists and we were you know about to sort of you know make make the first forays into producing one of these things and then uh, I I was just I was just finding it difficult. I was struggling, you know, being a rank amateur, 
to get these things out. And uh, just as a way to sort of blow off steam, I think I just reread Lobo or something like that. And I just knocked out this stupid little one page thing about this, uh, this joke of a space captain flying around irritating everyone. And I, I uh, you know, the artists I was chatting to, I showed that to them and they went, well, man, this I'm into, like, can we just do this instead? <laughs> So then nice. it became less of a me pitching to artists and more the artists sort of, you know, well, I would like to do it. And kind you know, of driving the... I would like to. Yeah. So it became more, it flipped the, the dynamic a little bit. So, so I thought, well, you know, screw it. I'll focus on this. And um, we got the first one out and that did, did pretty well on Kickstarter. And then we did the second one and then um, Scout picked it up. So that's when uh, I was like, ah, shit, I've got to make this into a, an actual story. And, uh, get Don't it start out, connecting some strings, huh? Yeah, because it literally <laughs> was just a case of you know one dick joke after a fart joke, and then you know <laughs> where's the story here? So you know we we, we ended up sort of uh, piecing it all together and getting it out to six issues, which was fun. And that uh, and that artist is uh, Jethro Morales. Jethro, yeah. So he um, <clears throat> at the time he'd done uh, like Green Hornet and uh, Vampirella, Army of Darkness. Um, what else done? John Carter, I think he'd done. Oh no, Deja Thoris. That's what the book was called. Oh, but um, oh, he's wow. he'd done a heap of dynamite stuff um, amongst some other books. And nice. um, so he had come with a, um, some comic design and experience under his belt already. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know, like I say, if if he if I didn't have such an accomplished artist as someone who was so good, I don't think it would have done as well because it it let, it's a stu it's a silly book. You know, it's 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 a lot of jokes. And, you know, even the book itself isn't taking itself seriously. So. I think having such a professional artist adds a bit of sheen that lets, you know, other people take it seriously. Right. So right. Bring, it um, really yeah, wraps up the project where the script yeah. can be more lighthearted or, or ridiculous yeah, exactly. at times with the art behind it and the kind of action scenes, you know, backing it up. It really yeah. you know, becomes visceral. I mean, it, <laughs> he, it could have been, you know, his quality of art, you know, it could be doing Guardians of the Galaxy or Star Jammers or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, There's some great panels there that was, that I've seen throughout the the book, and especially some of the covers too. You can tell. Yeah, I mean, and he just he as it went on, he lent into it more, um, which was the same with uh, with Teo, who did the colors. And hmm, um, as as they got through it, they sort of went, ah, well, shit, this is the kind of book this is. So like, you can really see Teo's colors get you know more bright and crazy as it goes on, and hmm, everyone of sort of gets into a groove. Yeah, finds the finds the rhythm in the, of the book or of your finds a good pacing there within the story it's cool that yeah. it started with uh, some more interest from the artist side it's definitely uh, something that's come up before talking with uh, creators here that um, finding that spark that the artist is interested in is definitely mm -hmm. good for the project instead of forcing them to tell some, yeah. some boring story or something that they just don't relate to right well it's it's like anything if you um you know whatever anyone does for a job if you're enjoying it you know, you get a bit of result out of it. Right. You're hating what you're doing. And I, and I just think, you know, the, the first thing I was pitching was this big, like I say, a big watchman thing. And it was just, I think they probably get the same thing from every aspiring writer. You know, this big, this is my MCU. This is my da 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 da, da. So when there's something they can just let off some steam and have a bit of fun, I think you are going to get a bit more of a, a result out of artists. And we, we had a great time putting it together. Right. Yeah, I know it pieced together really well, man. It's hard to decide which uh, which of the kind of the A covers I would say would my would be my favorite. 
I mean, I think well, probably number five is is high up in the rankings. I like he's just kind of caught there with a. Oh, that's when he's in the jungle. Yeah, yeah caught in the jungle, smoking, kind of just at gunpoint. <laughs> that's my favorite issue. That's the that's the best one I think we did, um, nice. and we we toned it down quite a lot. Um, it was a bit crazier <laughs> to begin with, but um, my my favorite cover is still number two, where he's he's got uh, Gra like the bounty hunter, the, the dinosaur guy. Um, and we, we weirdly, we put that one out for Kickstarter and then um, my parents live in the States and they, they, my, my mum will basically be like my biggest fan. She'll take these books and go to like local comic book uh, conventions and be like, oh, oh, this is my son's comic. Oh, and she awesome. took one and she got me a blank cover from uh, Ryan Otley. Um, and so he did, he did a sketch of Greaves on the front of the one of the blanks and stuff and gave what? him a issue too. But oh, then a few man. months later, there's a copy of Spider-Man that came out, and the cover is almost identical <laughs> for for the for the cover of Starbucks Star issue two. So I like to think that that was uh, you know a nice little homage. He, he but, didn't he didn't really give you that autograph he tr- or that that drawing. He traded it for the uh, posing and <laughs> the cover design. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but that's still my favorite. I still kept the uh, the artwork for that one. I've got it up on my wall. That's a very cool um, design. <clears throat> yeah. And he was behind the uh, Solid Blood kind of one-shot surprise that came out recently as well with Kirkman. Yeah, I haven't read that. Um, it doesn't exist, so, you know. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Was it, <laughs> did you, like, comic stores got sent it without knowing or something like that? I yeah, it, it, um, it kind of just appeared on the radar maybe a day or two before its release. Um, and right. Comic shops got a few of them. I don't know if they had an opportunity to, to order them. But it plays on the kind of the, the uh, Large Hadron Collider having been turned on and potentially right. creating some parallel or altering timelines. Right. And it's kind of a twisty, it's a really good sci-fi, like high action story. But in the letters page in the back, Kirkman goes all out and weaves this wild sort of alternate web of Walking Dead not having been so successful and how this solid blood book uh, is, you know, the first time he's made it past issue 15 as a writer. And uh, I don't know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to read if you can track it I'll have it to down. look it up, see if I can get it digitally at some point. I mean, I read Definitely. most of my stuff digitally. Yeah, if you can it's find it, uh, get. An exa- um, if you can find it digitally, I'd recommend giving it a read there. If they <laughs> pop it on Comixology or something like that. It probably will eventually. I think everything's yeah. going there. Digitally is just so easy is to access a, har- a huge library of, of books and you know, carry around all the fables in your pocket instead of a, a short box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't have, I just don't have the space to keep, you know, a hundred long boxes and stuff. We're quite, uh, quite short of space out here. So it's, uh, it's easier for me to just buy trades of things and then get the singles digitally and, you know, really, like you say, curate what I buy. Uh, right. That's a terrible thing for a writer and a, a creator to say. That I don't hey, buy no, singles, but You've got to curate your influences as well, right? What you consume, yeah. so that way you can, uh, you know, you can keep things going in the right direction. So from from Starbastard getting picked up by Scout Comics, they found it at issue two, and then you actually finished the four, five, and six. Then through Scout only, or or were those yeah, still? Yeah. So um, so one and two did were on Kickstarter. Uh, so three, four, five, and six um, only came out through Scout. Okay. So there are there are like multiple versions of the first two, but uh, it's just scout, you know, scout editions of uh, three onwards and the trade. Nice. nice. So there's some kind of OG first printings that exist. Man, I got some terrible ones. Right? 
<laughs> I um I printed them because you know I was figuring all this stuff out. I I got print the first copies of issue one. I got printed here locally, and none of the printers mm. here knew how to do comics. So I gave got specs from international printers, and I took them to a local printer, and it was quite a hip, you know, um, hip local printer. They did little small batch things of, you know, screen prints and things like that. Got these books back, and they're basically printed on backing board. It was insanity. They were oh, just wow. uh, they like couldn't even close the things properly. Solid, yeah, like, solid cardboard comics. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how. I don't know if that's you know looking at it. That's probably a good thing. It's like the best quality thing, but you just couldn't shut the books and stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, that's I a really high quality product. You don't need to worry about yeah. the pages at all. Uh, well, that was that was the second one. The first one they printed, and the pages were all out of order and stuff. Um, so anyway, I, eventually I took it to an American printer who knew what they were doing, and I got it done properly. But so found someone um, who had worked with just worked with the comic medium before that kind of thing. Yeah, so I used Comics Wellspring um, in the states for the rest of the stuff on the crowdfunder. But um, when I when it got announced through Scout, what I didn't realize was I'd left the um, the backer kit on the uh, Kickstarter running. I didn't know you had to shut it. So I suddenly had all these people go on there and order the additions from the Kickstarter. Um, and I had to say to them, look, sorry, I didn't know this was still up. <clears throat> I haven't got any of those left. Oh, um, so then... and, and they were like, oh, no, you know, da, 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 I really wanted to get them. That'd be great. And, and what I realized was I had these terrible ones in the garage <laughs> that I just I'd still got a box on. I never threw out. And, and weirdly, I said to them, look, all I've got are these terrible misprints of the first printing. And, and people were like, yeah, 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 give me those. Give me those um so i actually sold a bunch of the terrible ones that's awesome they, them up. they have some more uh some more value to them they're variants because they're yeah. uh misprints there's some news about uh or some difference i learned about like spawn number one where there's some variants on the interior cover where it's just slightly different color because the the printer had run out of like blue yeah. ink that day or something oh, just right. at the very end and so there's like a few of those ones that exist so now yeah i think you've created them for those, yourself <laughs> yeah exactly one of these mythic mythic misprints i think there's a venom uh from the 90s which is particularly rare because of a misprint or a similar kind of thing like that huh? yeah i mean yeah if, if there's if we ever get a movie then yeah i'll be sitting on uh sitting yeah. on enough for a new car i think there will be some garage. redditor posting like i don't know if you guys know this but the first few of these starbaster books were misprinted on all backer board <laughs> yeah it'll be on the cgc label it'll say you know printed <laughs> in 2016 shitty cover version or something like that. Nice. so the 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 project kind of grew beyond even your initial plans from that one page that's got to feel awesome to see that complete and, and finish how did the star bastard loggerhead one shot arise so when we did um when we did it through scout uh, there's a there's an artist chap called uh, brian silverbacks who uh he was at the time doing a bunch of covers for scout like he did metal shark bro which is a great book um and uh, a, a bunch of other ones and he basically contacted me and said hey man i saw this it looks cool would you mind if i did you a cover you know you can use it for a store variant or something like that hmm. and uh we worked on we worked on a cover um i think we did a couple actually but they 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 didn't get didn't get uh used in the end but um they're really cool we still got them i should put them in the collective edition actually but nice. um nice. basically then i became friends with brian and we're chatting back and forth he did me uh, did some stuff for some of my other work since um and he just he had this character called Loggerhead, which was a you know sort of mutant uh, turtle man living in the living in the swamps in this world he'd created. And he said, "Would you be into doing a crossover book?" 
and I thought, you know, why not? It's uh, we, we could just do something silly, sort of fun. You know, you don't have to sort of go over the top trying to explain why these two characters would uh, would meet. And we put this thing together, and uh, Scout approved it. Um, so yeah, we got to work on, uh, on on getting the book out. Very cool. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a good read, man. I was uh, I was surprised. It was a light a light romp, and the uh, the loggerhead character was funny. Uh, showing yeah, up it, as Starbastard's kind of foil. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the thing. It's 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 difficult. Like I've never, you know, that that was really the only book I put out. Um, I think at that point when we started working on it, it was just Star Wars that I put out. So let alone do do a crossover before. But um, yeah, it, it was just very interesting. His character up until that point, weirdly, had never said anything. He just had this one shot book out, where Loggerhead only really appears for like a few pages towards the end. Uh, and he's this silent character. So I just thought it would be funny. You know, Brian, weirdly, Brian did a cover before we'd done the script, just as a sort of proof of life, proof of concept thing. And he'd called it Oddfellas or something like that. And I just thought, yeah, it would be funny to have these guys as sort of quirky, you know. Uh, at first, I thought we'd do like a sort of really bizarre roommate type situation, but it was just too difficult to figure out. So, um, <laughs> so the, we did the it. death arena worked out better, huh? Yeah, the Dismember Dome. So we yeah. thought we'd uh, we'd just do something. It's very Ragnarok, you know. It's it's just very easy for a one shot. Just you know, they blip in, they're together, they have a fight, and then they blip out again. And um, yeah, I was, I was we were happy with what came out of it. I was quite proud of that book. Yeah, you sounds like you gave uh, gave the Loggerhead character some legs there, as far as his dialogue and and his background too. Huh? Yeah, I mean that was it was interesting because obviously I didn't know I had to message Brian. I was like Brian, what? What does he talk? I, I don't understand what this character sounds like. So I'd write a bunch of uh, stuff and he'd be like, nope, he sounds too intelligent. You've got to dumb it down a little bit. Oh, no, now you've made him too dumb. You've got to bring him up a little bit. Um, but I think, Seems like uh, a, I think a much kinder kind of dude, kinder kind of vicious guy than Starbaster, at least compared to him, compared to Greaves, he came off in yeah. a different way. Huh? He was, you know, because this is the thing, I don't know if you've read the, the book Brian put out, but he's he's kind of this sort of urban myth creature, lives in the swamps and everyone's scared of him. But in reality, he's just, you know, he's kind of, uh, he just looks like a monster. So that's his lot in life. He's not actually a, a bad guy. But um, nice. in this, you know, Greaves is just, you know, a self-involved sack of shit. So he's, uh, Loggerhead's definitely the nice guy, the straight guy to, to Greaves' is, uh, bullshit. Right. Right. No, it's cool to see how your uh, how your project really grew from that that one page all the way into a, a crossover, man, and uh, and some action figures and more. Um, is will there be more f for the Star Bastard universe, or have you closed the book on that project for a little while? No, I I mean we want to. Jethro, uh, unfortunately, Jethro's at Marvel now, so um, ah. I'm going to have to try and entice him back. <laughs> but we both wanted to uh, we both want to do more of it because it's fun to do. Um, we don't, you, we're not really following any rules. It's just like, this would be funny. This would be funny. And it's in space. So you, you know, there's not even any rules of the real world. You can just make anything work. So just adding we've, what we've you need, anything yeah. to fly in or, or kind of join the scene. It's like, you know, like in that crossover, there's a bit, you know, I'd, I'd say spoiler alert, but it's not going to ruin anything, but there's a bit where they're like, okay, well, how are we going to get back to our own place? Oh, look, there's a transporter. That's convenient. Like it's, it's just stuff like that. You can just go, oh, there's a bit of technology that does this. It's literal like Deus Ex Machina stuff. Um, yeah, yep. it's, it's fun. You can drop it in where needed. It's a, uh, yeah. 
it's a great thing about some of the sci-fi like or kind of science fantasy stories right yeah i mean and we've done obviously the the end of volume one ends on a, a position where everything sort of changed for them a bit and uh, the status quo um it, it has changed so we've written you know pretty much 50 percent you know about four issues of a, of a second volume oh, but it's wow. just a case of um of finding time and resources to get that done um and i've switched pretty much everything over to kickstarter first uh from here on out just so that <clears throat> everything gets everyone gets paid before anything goes to market so it would be right. a case of slotting a volume two uh in after the other projects i see that way you can use the kickstarter to really create the product before uh you know getting under the gun as far as deadlines or publishing yeah. and things like that huh yeah, I mean, deadlines, deadline wise, you know, this was a learning experience. So we, um, you know, the, the last issue was a couple of a couple of months late just because we we were planning to do it as the first issue of a, a second volume. But mm -hmm. then Scout wanted to get, you know, everything in that done as a first volume, which made perfect sense. Um, so, uh, you know, I've, I've just much prefer getting everyone paid before we go to the direct market. So that would be the model going forward. Right, right. Because without that, then you really need to have some artists and creators and everyone really working with the hope that it's going to yeah. work out down the road. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you've got a big name, unless you're selling a considerable amount of units, the, you know, the page rate an artist or, you know, and the rest of the team gets is, is a lot lower than it should be. So I'd rather, rather get everyone paid what they're owed and what they, what they deserve. Right. Then, That's uh, definitely a we, sounds like split a whatever's drive. left. Right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And speaking of uh, some of your Kickstarter projects, man, looking into um, Vet Noir, number one, uh, that released mm -hmm. and um, uh, was backed successfully. Um, a yep. bit well over your stretch or your uh, initial goal here. Uh, it looks like Vet Noirs are uh, from the solicit here. We get a revenge story set in a world where the age of heroes has been long forgotten. A catastrophe yep. years prior has forced the costumed, both hero and villain alike, out of the light and into the shadows. With um, one man returning, uh, the the djinn. Yeah. So that is, um, you know, uh, that's the 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 book I was talking about, where I was like, oh, this was my big magnum opus that I was going in cold. Oh, um, this is that, a glimpse at it, huh? Yeah, that's, this is kind of what it was. But luckily, I put it put it to one side. And then I met um, a chap called Matt Hardy, who's a writer in the UK. Um, and we uh, I met him at, at one of the conventions in London. Anyway, I, I got chatting to him. And um, uh, he he offered to look at the book and all this kind of stuff. And he, he, he picked out what was awful. He was like, this is garbage. Get rid of this. Do the, do the, do the. And he managed to sort of uh, push me in a direction that made more sense so it was less big picture more uh hmm. you know focusing on the characters so he came on board as the editor and uh, uh and the publisher mad robot comics so we ran it through his uh, his little imprint there i see so um, mad robot is the uh publishing that he runs yeah so it's, it's a you know a sort of indie publisher in the uk uh and he does a bunch of great books he put out um uh frank at home on the farm was one of his that's a scout book now Ah, yeah, that's awesome. We actually yeah. have uh, had Jordan Thomas here on the creator interview. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Several episodes so, back. so yeah, we we were all at the convention together. It was uh, you know like me and Matt and Jordan and Clark. 
uh, having a having a terrible little Airbnb uh, <laughs> up in London. But, um, but yeah, my, Matt managed to basically uh, sort of push this in the right direction and make it less of this big condescend, you know, convoluted uh, kind of find the uh, find the beats. Yeah, and he, and we made it into a, a into a cool little book. So uh, we put out that first issue um, in 2019, which seems like about 20 years ago. Um, and we are going up with the, the second and third issues uh, next week. I don't know what time this, when, what date this will be going out, um, but it will be live on the 17th of February for issues two and three, and you'll be able to get one there as well. Awesome. Is that, is that a, a planned arc or a three-issue miniseries? No, it will be, uh, the minute is five. We're, we're sort of talking about adding a sixth one just as a sort of wind down, but um, <laughs> we're basically going to run two more uh, campaigns. I've decided now all my Kickstarters are going to be issue one, and then from there on in each campaign will be two issues. Uh, just see. to give, A, give people a bit more value, and, and then they're not waiting as long for, uh, for books. That way so your, doing your stories don't stretch out over uh, six years. <laughs> no, well, the problem with Kickstarter, you know, you, you can only do so many campaigns every year. You know, you've got to, you've got to get a book out. You've got to get the, the work done on it. You've got to get it printed. You've got to get it out. And then once everyone's got it, you can move on to the next one. Um, so, you know, on a good year, you're lucky if you can do sort of three or four campaigns. And when you're talking about having multiple books, you know, you're trying to get five or six of them done. It's going to take you a few years, so right. Um, right. you know it's a long, and, uh, a long haul to move a mountain here. Huh? Yeah, so I just figured we'll do, you know, you can either look at it as sort of two issues at a time or, or a single oversized sort of forty-eight page book, depending on which one it is. Um, but that we're putting out, you know, two and three for the next one on the seventeenth, and uh, people will be able to pick up issue one, two, and three awesome. uh, during so the campaign can jump on the series if you missed the first one here and and uh yeah and join in what is do, would you give a uh elevator pitch here for uh for the series or Benoit. so it's yeah. it's so Benoit is like you said from the solicit it's kind of um it, it's a very it's a very slow burn book um and there's a the, the first issue I wrote basically the whole first issue is kind of twist, which sets up the book. So it's very difficult to give the full full pitch, ah, but without uh, without revealing the a little bit of yeah. the scene. Huh? No worries. Yeah, there. Um, but it's 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 kind of uh, a book where um, there's no no superheroes anymore. Uh, there was, but you know you've had an event which has basically caused them to be forced into the shadows, um, and you're only sort of left with a few villains that are sort of operating. Uh, uh, you know behind the scenes um, in this world. Uh, and you get a guy who uh, basically, for, for trademark reasons, was 100% definitely not Batman. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's long dead, uh, assumed long dead by the public. Uh, and then one day, years later, he comes back to uh, exact uh, revenge uh, on, uh, on all the people and, and uh, organizations that have done him and his, his uh, his old team members wrong. Awesome. So he's kind of hitting the streets, returning, huh? Yeah, it's it's like um, you ever see that film Payback with um, Mel Gibson? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that, you know. You've got a guy who comes back and he's just got nothing to lose. He's just out out for revenge, and it's right. um, 
<laughs> and like I say, it was it was this big grandiose thing, and now it's very much focused on this this guy and why is he doing it, and you know what is he willing to, or what has he given up in order to 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 sort of start down this path of revenge. It's that iceberg uh, effect of uh, you know kind of just showing just a little bit of the story. That's what can make some of those kind of slow burn stories so impactful when the reader yeah. doesn't know that there's so much underlying, but. You know, because you knew as the creator, it just allows you to tell a more kind of nuanced story, right? More complex yeah, I mean, story. and this is kind of the opposite of Starbuster. So this one I've written, um, I've, I've done a very careful story, which, you know, we've laid out all the, all the, all the milestones and we're trying to hit them as we go. Hmm. Um, and it's, you know, once you get to the end of the first volume, it should be a book where you go back and you get something else out of it. Because once you... Ooh, have, have learned some of the secrets and the backstory you go back and there's a lot of um, little easter eggs that have been placed throughout the book some, some um, uh, in, uh, kind of hidden foreshadowing there the first round through. yeah hopefully or i'm a terrible writer and it just doesn't make sense <laughs> so it could be one or one or the other but, but we had have... we had some really good reviews of the first one um, oh great so i'm really i'm quite confident about it it's very difficult to sell a superhero book when you're not uh you know it's not coming out through marvel or dc so yeah it's, um, I was a, pleased with what we got. it's a tried um, medium for sure right so you need to spin it a little differently and kind of make sure to twist it twist it up for for the readers yeah and hopefully we've done that i mean like i say everyone everyone has said good things about it and um it's fun you know uh, that that's that's the thing starbucks was fun because it's just irreverent it's nonsense you know space <laughs> comedy but right. this is fun because you know i'm getting to write people in tights and capes punching each other and really get you know, into big, the big robots and stuff yeah it's fun you really get into the comic medium a little bit more here you mentioned laying yeah. out the um the milestones is there a a an outline process or a uh, writing process that you use effectively or do you kind of use a mix of some different draft in, in writing so processes what i basically what i i i've started everything i've written with a, a title usually ah, uh, i just think that huh. title sounds quite good with with this one i kind of wrote i came up with the idea for the ending and then i had to go back and uh, fill in the events that come up to the ending so i was quite lucky with this one to have a uh, you know a goal to hit and then kind i just had to work for. backwards yeah it was like okay well if i need to do that i just need to make sure this happens and if i need to make sure that happens this is going to happen uh, and it was much easier than working the other way around and, hmm. you know, trying to figure out, you know, where I'm going to go, which is Starbuster was just an organic, right. He's a, he's an asshole. He's going to do this. Oh, cool. Look where we are now. Okay. He's gone to this planet. Like it's, it was, it was build it as you go, choose your own adventure yeah. with Starbuster, but much more. It was very much play it by ear. Yeah. Right. No, that's cool to see that. Uh, we'll see the contrast within the, within the books though, for sure. And, yeah, and that's um, what keeps it interesting. You know, you've got to sit down and write this stuff and you've got to force yourself to do it. So if you're doing the same thing every time, you're going to get bored very quickly. Right, right. Yeah, do you have any uh, motivation tips there for just getting down to the script and keeping, trying to keep focus there on the story or on, um, on Well, bef before the pandemic, um, I would find it much easier to sort of go out and sit in a coffee shop and, you know, just sit with an old notepad and just make some notes and get stuff done, you know, because I've got a kid at home and I just cannot focus if there's people running around and screaming and, and doing things. So now, right. um, 
I tend to just find if you if you you know you get up a bit earlier in the morning when no one's there, you can really sit down and focus and just in in silence rather than doing it at the end of the day when uh, you're already destroyed and you mm -hmm. just want to sort of put some TV on and go to sleep. Kind of finding that time yeah. early while the willpower is still high there for the day, huh? Yeah, before you've been before you've been knackered out by work or you know just general life stuff, you know. Yeah, the world is weighed you down by by five yeah. p.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and then you just want to put one division on and, and figure out what's going on there. But exactly, um, it's. Um, I, I also found that <clears throat> you know, like with with the Star Bastard, I was I was on a book, and I was struggling. I was like, I don't know where this is going to go, and it's just frustrating me. So I just put that to one side, and I loaded up something else, and I wrote this nonsense thing, and then it took off. It, it's just about if you if you if you feel like you're not getting anywhere, stop, and and do something else. And whether that's writing a different project or whether that's getting up and playing Call of Duty or whether that's just, there's no point wasting your time staring at a blank screen. I, I don't find anyway. Um, right. Right. It's, it was not meant to, not meant to happen there. If you're, if you're finding it too hard or, or having no. to force it. Too and you might there. find it, you know, if you, if you're sitting there and you're struggling to get an idea out, you get up, you do something else, you know, you go, just go do the the shopping, go down to the supermarket or something. I, I've done that so many times where I've just gone, right, I'm packing this up. I'm going to go out. You know, go, go back to some routine. Yeah, and then as you're driving, because you know your brain, when it gets into those, you know, like people, you're in the shower and you have your best thoughts. It's because your brain is just focused on something else, and then a different part of your brain will come up with an idea. So yeah, you get that kind of free association there of the sort of wandering, wandering mind's eye. Yeah, I always get my best stuff when I'm driving. Uh, like I'm just driving down the road, and then uh, you know, come up with titles or literal oh, cool light bulb moments for you, huh? Yeah, because then you've got music on and you're just, you know, you're, you're just listening to music and driving and you're not thinking about writing and then something completely fresh will pop up rather than what you were obsessing about. And then, you you know, that might be the bit you wanted to fix or it might be a bit an issue or 10 pages ahead or, or anything like that. But then you just, you've got a bit more and then you can fill in the blanks. Right, right. At least get you onto the next page or onto that next yeah. plot point. When yeah. you're when you're writing your scripts, do you um, do you have a, a format that you stick to as far as kind of <clears throat> panel description or you know deciding how the pages should look, or do you leave that up to the artists more or provide um, it kind depends. of a general theme? It's, I'm definitely not writing you know an Alan Moore script. Um, <laughs> I've done I've done pages where it's just I I've just said this is I mean the the format I use I think it's a dark horse format. I found it years ago when I was sort of researching how to write comic scripts ah. so I tend to just you know um, the project page page one and then I'll have a breakdown of how many panels there are um, so that the artist knows right that's that kind of page um, right. then I have panel one yeah you know because if you start it off and it and it doesn't have how many panels they've got to go through count it and all this kind of stuff it's just easier to put as much information there just make their life easier um and it keeps you know for you you can keep track of that and then you know i'll put a panel description if it needs it but i do whole pages where there's just you know I, anything from this page i need this guy to beat the shit out of this guy do whatever <laughs> you like um to you know uh, i'll just fill in the dialogue break it down by panel and then leave the panel what's in the panel and how they want to design that up to the artist because I'm, you know, I'd love to be an artist. That's what I wanted to do when I was a kid was draw comics. But unfortunately, there are people that do that better than me. So 
I, if there's something that needs to be in that panel for the story, um, I put it in there. If not, I leave it up to the artist. So it's sort of halfway between, you know, Marvel and full script, I guess, depending on the book. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it kind of depends on the project a little bit and maybe on the, on the scene, it sounds like, too, or kind of the moment that you're, that you're building there. Yeah, um, I mean, I, the, the one thing that I really focus on is page turns um, right. to make sure any reveals are on and off you know, an odd colored uh, or an even numbered page rather. Um, but everything else is is down the pacing and stuff. You know, if I need to be paced, I'll do it. Otherwise I just say, this page needs to have this happen. You you lay it out as you need it um, and just give them give them notes where they need it. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting medium to work in as far as telling a story, especially when how, when you consider how many, you know, different desks the project has to go across before it really becomes a book. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I think that's a good thing because I did, uh, you know, with Starbuster, it was basically just me operating as writer and editor and, you know, all these kind of things. Whereas with, with uh, Bette Noir and Damsel, it's, I've, I've had editors there who can step in and say, this is terrible, do not do this. And, <laughs> and sometimes it's things that I really have some, you know, I really think it's, it's, it's important to the story someone else points it out and I realize, no, that's nonsense. I don't need that. I can put something much more uh, useful in there. Hmm. Um, and it's, and it's made for better books. So I think, I think the collaborative nature of comics is, uh, is a good thing as long as, you know, as long as everyone's on the, the same page of what the book is intending to do and be. Interesting. Right. So it's actually leading to a, a, a kind of a better end product there because of, yeah. because it had those more cycles of iteration or just more eyes on the project. Yeah, because you you know you look at something, you know, it's, especially with a book like Starbusted, like I could have put some super offensive stuff in there, you know, <laughs> yeah. something that isn't offensive to me, I might not, I, I might not grasp that it's offensive to someone else, right? Because it's it's that kind of thing. So um, there wasn't any opportunities there for things which were like, holy shit, you need to take this out. But it it very much could have been. Um, right. So, so having those I think, second eyes can catch something yeah. or you know or, sensitivity readers or or anything like that is 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 useful and and with a with a book like uh Bette noir it's it, it was very much cases of like this i don't know where you're going with this so this is wasted pages but this guy needs we we don't know what this is about so maybe you could pull those pages put them here expand on that and that oh, happens a whole bunch uh on that script so that's awesome you know, editors sure. are super important especially yeah. on indie books when people are learning just pay like letterers letterers are super important because you cannot letter your own book um, right. and it will right. destroy you could get the best artist in the world put crappy lettering on it and you've ruined your book so it just doesn't just look right people. unless you unless yeah. someone someone real spends the time on the letter and gets a nice nice fonts for that and yeah and up. you know people blow their budget on one thing and then they they cheap out on something else but lettering and editing is something that all indie books should really consider doing because it's a small cost in the grand scheme of things but it it adds so much to the to the, the the end product right for your later projects here and we haven't really dug into damsel from distress yet which is right. uh one from uh 2020 is just from last year yeah i did that so that was uh november i think we started in october ended it november does um, that editing process for you happen more on the script now that you're involving these other members of the team or does it still happen kind of further down when the artist has already gotten involved no so um bet noir i had a bunch of stuff written and then matt came on board and he basically you know hacked 
hacked the old stuff apart and we added to it. Um, but with Damsel, um, I've got Hassan Otsman El Hau, who's uh, he's he runs panel by panel. He, he's basically letters every comic book in the world at the minute, I think. Um, but he he has a just an innate understanding of comic books. Like he can just dissect a comic book and understand every aspect of it. You know, from the lettering to the to the the, the script stage. Um, oh, just so, some uh, very good perception and uh, insight here onto the comics, huh? Yeah, he he just understands them like no one else. So with him, um, I had a first issue written, um, you know, as you do for pitches and stuff. Um, I'd found uh, Mauricio, uh, the artist, um, and we were doing some character designs. And that's when I brought um, Hassan on board. And he, again, like we, we chopped a huge chunk of the script out. Then I gave him the script for issue two. And he said, right, well, you take half of issue two, you put it into issue one because you are wasting space. You know, you, you're just... Mm -hmm you've got to pay for everything to be done you know when you when you break it down a comic is expensive so if you can do in one issue what you you were going to do in three that's a better thing for everyone so so we combined um like issues one and two into one thing and then added more um so it just shows you how much just stuff we didn't need was in that initial script right um, right how much you could chop out and, and have the same story or even have a better one at the end right a yeah much better one. and and it just makes it flows better it makes sense everyone's following everything it's because you the writing at least from my perspective you've you've got this habit of you understand the character you understand where they're going to end up but sometimes you you don't put enough information in that script so that everyone else understands um, all those things and it's difficult to do without exposition so it's um it's important for someone else to go well i don't understand this so you need to expand on that or detract from it right crucial crucial details for you to know in that, in that level where you, if you're just thinking you know everyone understands where they're at here but you realize you know don't realize you've explained actually you, you if you haven't actually explained where they are or, yeah. or some element of a character's attitude or past or something huh? yeah i mean like you say that in star bastard issue one i just wrote it in that he's invulnerable like i didn't at no point is that ever referenced. And I, I didn't realize that until we were like three issues in. I was like, does anyone understand that he's supposed to be invulnerable? <laughs> so uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a lesson learned. You know, everything you do, you, you learn something that you put into the next book. Right, right. Failing forward uh, <laughs> quickly. Yeah, <laughs> failing you know. upwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just seems like you've definitely done a great job, man, with, so, with successful Kickstarter after successful Kickstarter. Um, you know, hoping to see good things coming down the line with the rest of Bet Noir. Um, what is the uh, pitch here for Damsel from Distress? So Damsel from Distress um, is is kind of a I I sort of uh, the tagline is elves and espionage. So it's it's a cross between uh, the Man from Uncle and uh, Lord of the Rings or Zelda. Um, so it's about um, this this woman who is you know the the this agency that sort of oversees a fantasy realm um, of these United Kingdoms, uh, not United Kingdom, it sounds like the UK, but um, she, there's, there's, a, there's a realm of all these different independent kingdoms and they have an agency called Distress, which um, sort of intervenes in any disputes or you know, ah. any problems that arise. So um, this woman is like their top operative and uh, she, uh, while she's on a routine mission, she sort of she, she discovers something about her past that, that triggers this whole um, extra mission. Um, 
and she has to go off and rescue a, a, a sort of dwarven princess. Oh, nice, nice, and a dwarven princess at that. The yeah. see, dude, lady dwarves are are not in very many stories. <laughs> no, I mean we we just um, the uh, the whole crux of this book was just um, I wrote. I wrote Starbusted and that came out and my wife would sit there going, why, why have you not written me into one of your comic books? I don't know if people have that with their relatives. <laughs> Where they, like, they look I in there, this? start reading the panels <clears throat> and start looking for themselves. <laughs> yeah, they're like, why didn't you put me in this? And I was just like, well, I can't put you in this. Like, you don't want to be in this book. So I, <clears throat> I put, you know, I did this, this whole book, I was writing it. And so she's, the character Beck is named after my wife. Oh, that's um, awesome. But it's, it's much more, um, you know, Starbuster was like a sort of very, macho you know throwback type book this one is a lot more um equal in terms of you know the people in the book and uh, there's a lot more sort of strong female characters in it i see um, yeah it's good to so, explore all the all the genres and types of stories that you can really uh, really tell with the well, comic yeah. medium because huh? because also the the market is so diverse now you know you you can focus on one one uh, demographic but you know, you've got to try and, you know, cater to as many people as possible, give as many people stuff they can enjoy as possible. And yeah, this yeah. book I has done leaps and bounds better than anything else I've done. Um, it's just completely it was wildly successful, uh, well over your, uh, your goal there, maybe almost three times. Huh? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, goals on Kickstarter rarely actually cover the cost of things, but Luckily, this one did well enough where we. That's uh, an Easter egg there. So sometimes it's a little under, it's a little bit glorifying the actual cost. Yeah, because, you know, if if people knew exactly how much it cost to print and ship a comic book, I think it would give them a heart attack. So, um, you you know, you you always sort of, you have to pay out of pocket a little bit to get the stuff moving. But um, we did well enough on there that we were sort of at zero which is, it's just like the, the, the pinnacle. That's where you want to be. Right. Um, and, and then you have the product getting made, ready to go. You can start, you know, figuring out what happens next. Uh, yeah. Will will be multiple issues as well, or is that a one shot? No. So, so issue one is very much like, this is, this is the world. These are the characters and here we go. This is what they got to deal with. Awesome. Um, issue two and three. Uh, well, we've written the whole thing, but, um, two and three we're working on at the minute uh, and, ish- and they'll be launching as a, as a combined campaign in April because uh, we're just fulfilling the, the physical copies of Damsel at the minute. They're at the printers uh, in the States. In route, right? um, <clears throat> Yeah, so they're, they're, they're just finishing up being printed and then they're being sent out. Um, and once those are out, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get on the, <laughs> the hype train for, for two and three. Awesome, um, man. And uh, yeah, it's doing really well. Everyone, again, good good reviews of it so far from the people that have had early early looks. Um, and I, it's it's my favorite thing I've done so far. It's just fun, and I can show it to people without worrying whether they're going to get offended by all the swearing <laughs> and violence. It's definitely is a silver lining for uh, for a creator there too. Yeah, it's difficult when you know, like the local radio station. They're like, "Oh, we're doing a piece on comics, and uh, we'd like to have you on. What's your book called?" You're like, yeah, don't worry. You can't. <laughs> you can't <have> <laughs> At least now I've got books they can talk about. <laughs> right, right. That's cool. Yeah. Good to add to the list and, and diversify. And I think the comic medium, it's, it's so unique that you can really, you know, you're still considered a comic creator if you tell a horror story now and a, a, a raunchy space comedy next year or a, you know, a really deep 
kind of introspective post-apocalypse story, you know, it still kind of falls within comics. You have that wide yeah. range. I mean, comics is a, it's an amazing medium. You can do so much stuff in comics that you could never do in, uh, in films, you know, as an indie guy, as someone coming in, um, you know, with no resources or anything like that. It would be you a could... high budget film to recreate, <clears throat> uh, recreate Star Bastard. Yeah, exactly. You, you could do that. Any, any of them, you know, it's, um, I, I, I wish I could do like the thing I'm trying to do at the minute is write one of these small, um, you know, just, just small stories where it's based in reality and, you know, it's, it's just normal stuff, but unfortunately everything's laser beams and dragons. And... <laughs> it starts to get wild for you huh? as, you're, yeah. as soon as the writing starts. Yeah, I mean, I started one the other day and I said, right, this is going to be a graphic novel. And I, I just, as a bit of fun, I said I was going to write a whole crime graphic novel based in London and it was all going to be in Cockney rhyming slang. Um, <laughs> so I, I did this stupid thing to do for the beginning, but anyway, it was fun. And then it very quickly just, there was vampires and zombies and things like this. So <laughs> the the fantastical sort of elements found their way into the writing quick. Huh? Yeah, just, just sneak in. So um, yeah, the, the trick there is to just sort of separate them and go, right, well, that's a different thing. Save that from for a different day. <laughs> right, right. Awesome, man. Well, um, while folks wait on the Bet Noir Kickstarter to go live here, uh, here next week, uh, where mm -hmm. can they find more about you and your work online? So I'm on Twitter predominantly, which is, uh, I, th I think it's getting to be a, a slightly less horrible place. Um, but it's, uh, I, I'm on there as just my name, at Andrew Clemson. Um, I've got an Instagram, which is at uh, Clemson, my surname, and then DXB, uh, which is the Dubai airport code. But uh, I'm not particularly active on there. But then I've got a website, which is uh, clemsoncomics.com. And then... Uh, I'll, I'll try and update that now with Damsel, but everything else is on there. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I just want to thank you again for joining the show here. And as always, guys, thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at After Dragons with all the news, reviews, and information on afterdragons.com. Thank you.